Welcome to the hut near the bog. The end of April and beginning of May marks the ancient festival of Bialtana. In this episode, Sheila speaks with Celtic priest Darren Malai to discuss the origins of Bialtana and its spiritual significance. Dara also tells us how we can celebrate this ancient festival in contemporary life. Dara, we'll get straight into it if that's okay with you. And the first question I'd like to ask you is to tell me a bit about Bialtana. Yeah, sure, sure. Bialtana is a very ancient Celtic festival, obviously, and it's one of the four Celtic festivals of the year, in Bullock, Bialtana, Lunasa and Samhain. And some people say it's the most important of the four Celtic festivals. And of course, it comes on May the 1st, and that, for the Celts, was the beginning of summer. So it's a sun festival. It's a celebration of the sun um, from the time of the 1st of May through to the end of July, you have the sun at its highest point. And in the middle of that uh, period, you have the solstice, which is the, the very top of the um, the sun cycle, if you like. So everything is growing at its speediest and fastest at this time, and everything is responding to the sun, and we're all getting out in the sunshine. So it's celebrating that whole time of year. Bealtaine actually comes from a very ancient god called Bel, who wasn't initially a Celtic god, but he was absorbed into the Celtic pantheon. And so it's the Beltina. It's the the Tina being the fire. So it's the fire of Bel. So the Beltaine festival was a celebration that used fire as one of its main ways of ritual. So on the Beltaine festival, you would light two fires. This would be on the evening before May the first. So at dusk. You would light two fires and uh, various things could happen then. First of all, it was a celebration. So there was drink and food and dancing and music and all that sort of thing. Um, But also there were rituals involved. So, for example, you drove your cattle or your animals through between the two fires to as an act of purification for them. Um, You had people jump across the embers of the fire you have people walk around the fire or dance around the fire in a sunwise or tourist deshel, as they call it in Gaelic, a, a journey to the right or to the south uh, direction around the fire, dancing, jumping over the fire. And, and then also you used all the different elements of the fire. There's the ashes, which you would spread on your crops afterwards. We know today as gardeners that they contain tremendous fertility for the soil. So that's one thing you would do. You'd often um, get the smoke all over your body to cleanse and purify yourself. So you'd gather the smoke onto yourself. And then the third one is you jump across the fire. And of course, um, it's a celebration too, really, of humans' use of fire. I mean, there would have been a time when humans didn't have fire as a tool they could use. But once we discovered it, in the course of evolution, it became central and it liberated us from having to spend so much time and energy digesting our food because everything had to be eaten raw. Once we discovered how to cook our food using fire, it freed us up 
to give a lot less time and energy to digestion and gave us a lot more time to be creative and to discovery and to journey and travel and all sorts of other things. So it really liberated us. And even today, I would say the element most appropriate for humans you know, is the is probably fire. If you look at fish, obviously the element is water. If you look at birds, obviously the element is air. The air, the humans could be earth because we live on the earth, but even more so, fire has has made us who we are today. Like even now, you think of fire in your cooking every day. You think of fire starting up your car. It's burning fuel. It needs a spark to start it. We think of rockets going into space and the fire that they use. So much of our equipment and material today needs fire, needs that, that really intense heat in order to make the things we use today and take for granted. So that's the whole background to the Bealtaine Festival. And obviously it's as relevant to us today as it was to people thousands of years ago. Yeah, that's interesting. I would never have thought of fire in that context. But when you say it, it makes perfect sense. You did also say, Dara, that in one sense, or some people felt that Bjelton was the most important festival. Why do you think that is? Well, I think probably because um, of the fire element. You know, you're coming into, uh, let me put it this way. Here in Aaron. We have a short window of six weeks in which to plant our crops. The period begins on March the 17th, the Feast of St. Patrick, Patrick's Day, and it ends on Beltane the 1st of May. Or here we say it ends when the cuckoo comes and you hear it calling, which is actually at the end of, of April, at the same time as the swallows. So for us, that's it. Patrick's Day to the cuckoo calling, you've got to get your potatoes planted within that period, which is just six weeks. And you've got to get most of it, the rest of your plants planted too. So anybody involved in the garden probably knows this. After the 1st of May, it's getting a little bit late to be planting anything. From May onwards, you're watching your plants grow. And the most important element in nature that's going to help your plants grow is the sunshine. Um, so maybe that's why it's so it's such an important festival because unless you have your crops, you're not going to survive the winter. You know, you need your crops to keep you alive, and you need enough of them to be able to put aside at the end of the harvest and store for the winter. Otherwise, you're not you're going to starve in winter. Excellent. That sounds brilliant, uh, Dara. What about the spiritual significance of Bealtaine? Well, the spiritual significance of Bealtaine has always been there too. I mean, if, if we start nowadays, it's connected with Easter. Um, for example, one, one of the ancient practices of May was to light a bonfire on the hill of Ishnak. Now, you'll see other stories where they lit a bonfire on the hill of Tara, when you connect that with, say, the story of St. Patrick, and he lit a fire for Easter on the hill of Slain, which could be seen from the hill of Tara. But actually, uh, I suppose... Maybe the more authentic story is Ishnak, because Ishnak is the navel of Ireland. It's the very centre point of Ireland. And the tradition was that all fires in the country were put out before the, the fire of Ishnak was lit. And then once the fire of Ishnak was lit, that fire was transmitted out so that everybody's fire was lit from there. So that gave a sense of tremendous unity throughout the society and the culture of the time. And of course, that tradition then was taken over by Christianity. And that 
story is symbolized in the story of Patrick and the Hill of Tara and the Hill of Slain. And it's a practice that's practiced now throughout the world, not just in in Western Christianity, but also in, in Orthodox Christianity, where, again, all fires are put out. You go into a dark cathedral, close all the doors, black out all the windows, and you light a fire from rubbing two branches together. And you get it started, and then you open the doors and bring it out, and everybody lights a candle from that, and the fire is transmitted from there. So it's contained in the Christian ceremonies, and it's it's also originated way, way back prior to Christianity. So that's one big element of, if you like, the spirituality of it. It's a celebration of resurrection, um, which you see in nature, as well as maybe in Christian belief. Um, it's a celebration of everything coming up out of the ground and beginning to blossom and to produce fruit. So it's all of that behind it. I mean, there's plenty of ways today in which we could continue that and, and make it relevant for our own lives. If you want to get into that in this discussion, we could do that. Yeah, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, uh, Dara. Okay, well, let, let, let me first say that, um, just because I might forget if I don't say it now, that May is and Bialtana is also a festival of sexuality. So just like you know, the plants in the ground have been fertilized and now they're growing and, and producing again. Um, similarly, humans are at a very fertile point, if you like, in the year. The, the traditional time in the Celtic world for people to get married was in the month of May. And often the May Day Festival, the first day of May, was a day of spiritual license. So I don't know whether this is true or not, but for example, if you read some of Morgan Llewellyn's books, uh, which are historical fiction, uh, but she did a lot of research on the history of it. She talks about this May Day festival and the sexual license that would have taken place there where, you know, you're faithful to your partner for the rest of the year, but on May Day, you could have sex with whoever you wanted. People went out into the fields. Uh, so it's that sort of license time, that turning of life upside down, a bit like maybe Halloween, where people dress up and become somebody else, you know, uh, that license to be somebody else on Halloween is a license to be sexually active on May the 1st. So, and then the tradition was that people would be married during the month of May. And we get that phrase honeymoon or the Irish uh, version of it, me namala, from that month of May. The honeymoon month is really the month of May initially. Now, of course, it's the month after you get married, whenever you get married. Uh, but initially, it was just it was the honeymoon uh, month of May. And the Mina Mala is the month of the honey. So you see, bees at this time of year are getting very active and they're collecting all the honey from the flowers. And the flowers are in bloom in May more than any other time. In fact, May, because of the flowers, is my favourite month in the year. Because here in Arran, all the wildflowers are out in May no shortage of them and the colours are amazing and they're fresh and the bees are very very busy and it's just a glorious time um yeah and i'd agree so much with that it's such a glorious time again even the sounds are so amazing everything is in full bloom particularly wild uh, flowers just the primroses the violets they're all there and the the contrast of colour is just amazing all right yeah yeah and particularly in may isn't that true like later oh, yeah. on in the summer 
things get a bit duller or the grass gets a bit more yellow looking and worn looking. But just in May, everything is so fresh because it's just out of the ground. So there's all of that going on. Mina Mala is um, the month of the honey. And then honey was traditionally used to make mead, which is a mixture of honey and wine, I believe. And then mead was was the uh, potion you took with you after you married. And you drank a sup of it every day as a couple to produce fertility in your marriage. So it's regarded as a, a fertility ritual to drink mead every day for the first month, the month of your honeymoon after your marriage. And I see that tradition coming back today where couples are often given a gift of a bottle of mead uh, on their wedding day, or they actually drink it as part of their wedding ceremony. I, I am a wedding celebrant myself, and I've seen couples who want to do that during their ceremony. That's amazing. Yes. Uh, the gift of fertility, which is obviously so important as well. And then, Dara, would some of the rituals be associated with protection as well? Yeah, well, that comes in in the walking between the two fires on the first and the first, well, the night before the first day of May. Um, yeah, yeah, you go, you walk through the fire yourself. That's a purification ritual. And also you drive your animals through the fire. Um, and that's a purification ritual for them as well. So, yeah, it's very much to do with purification. And what is the significance then of the May bush? Yeah, the May bush is part of that. There's the May bush, there's the altar, the flower, the altar, the May, May altar, flowers of Mary in the Christian tradition. Um, uh, what else is there? There's the May pole which is a sort of a symbolic symbol, a symbolic um, version of the, May, of the May bush. So the May bush is you pick a bush, usually it may be a hawthorn, and you decorate it with ribbons and um, you dance around it to celebrate May. Or you have the maypole, which may be in cities, for example, where there may not be too many trees or bushes you could dedicate to that purpose. And you dance around it uh, on the May Festival. And I've heard that in Eastern Europe, they still keep up some of these traditions. And one of them is that on May Day, all the young boys gather around in front of the house of a young girl. And they sort of court her up at her window, you know, um, and go from house to house, from one girl to the other, courting the girl. It's a little sort of, um, I suppose, a sexual ritual on May Day, where they, they're looking for their sexual partner, symbolically. Excellent. And also, I, I've read that people went out and washed their face in the morning dew on May Day. What's the significance of that, Tara? Well, that's, that's a very interesting practice, and it's also associated with Bridget's Day. So I think to understand that fully, we need to... Um, See how people of that time regarded uh, the dew that landed on the grass. So there's water that comes down in the rain. There's water you get from rivers and streams. There's water in the sea. But then there's a very mysterious type of water that's not on your grass during the day. But when you get up the following morning early, it may well be on your grass and then it will disappear again. And that's the dew. And of course, we now know it's because of condensation. When, when the weather gets colder, the water that's in the air uh, condenses onto something, something solid that's, that's cold. And that's usually the grass. So it's a very 
very sort of a magical form of water. And I would say it was probably the first source of holy water or sacred water to these Celtic people. And nowadays, if you're in the Christian church, you need the priest to bless the water to make it holy. But in those days, um, holy water was connected with the, with the dew, or it was also connected with a holy well, because the well would have been regarded as an entrance into the sacred womb of Mother Earth. So for a different reason, the well was holy. Um, but the sacred, the well, the dew water is sort of magic water, which is there only for a short while in the morning, and then it's gone. So a little ritual was was developed where women especially would go out, watch the rising sun and then wash their faces in the dew of in the dew that was on the ground at the time. So it's connected with May Day, but it's also connected with St. Bridget's Day. Excellent. And it's, it's to make them beautiful and to make their skin soft and clear and all of that. OK. And d- did... Uh, ancient people did did they evoke a blessing on um, May Day or a, a cure or is there anything associated with that, Dara? Well, I'm sure they did. Um, there's been a number of collections of traditional prayers that people have said on May Day. Um, so uh, I don't know if there's particular cures associated with May Day. I'm not familiar with any. Um, but general invocations, absolutely, yes. And I suppose one of the modern expressions of it would be um, the hymn to Mary, Queen of May. Do you know that hymn? It's yes, very, I very do. popular. For older people, they would probably know it, like myself, but younger people might never have heard it. And there's a, there's a line in it where it goes, Queen of the angels and Queen of the May. Um, so, you know, Mary is regarded as, I suppose... Um, they're celebrating uh, her fertility in the sense that she gave birth to Jesus and they're celebrating her femininity as well, which is what's striking, I suppose, about the earth at this time as well, that um, it's sort of feminine fruit, f- fertility and fruitfulness that, that is most one's most aware of, I suppose, in May because everything is coming up out of the ground and new, new life is coming in the animals as well. Brilliant. I have to say, uh, Dara, that, you know, growing up uh, in the 50s, um, I, I remember the Maypole and dancing around it, but it seemed to almost be buried for a number of years. I, I didn't, it didn't come back into my head until very recently, which meant that have we lost that connectivity with it or um, is that re-emerging at this point, do you think? Well, we as humans are moving on, evolving, I would say, very quickly. The rate of change in society and in how people are living on this earth has accelerated enormously. I've heard one scientist recently say that the rate of change in evolution has increased by one million times uh, with the coming of humans. And it seems to be increasing more and more, even in our own generations, like my world is very different from the world of my parents and my children's world is the is very different from my world so it's very hard to keep up with that when you're um looking for rituals that resonate with you and that are appropriate in the circumstances and i think one of the things that um 
we have been trying to do recently is reconnect with nature because we've become very aware that we're out of sync and out of balance with nature. And as a result, nature is suffering really badly. And so there's a whole sort of movement towards reconnecting with nature. So probably one of the most important rituals at this time of year is to get out in the garden and get out in the fresh air, reconnect with your your plants and your creatures that are growing in the garden, reconnect with the sunrise and with the sunset and with where the sun is at and with the warmth in the year, get your barbecue out and cook outside. These are all sort of rituals. I would call them rituals um, because they connect you to something sacred outside of yourself. When you have your barbecue outside, it becomes a memory and a moment that you have had with your family and with your friends When you work in the garden, it's an experience of connection with something outside of you that's sort of sacred. It's the sacredness of all life, not just your life. Um, So these are the sort of things that I think we will um, more and more want to do. And then maybe as we do them, we will develop other particular rituals around them. Whether the maypole will survive uh, as a ritual symbol, I can't say. Um, I don't know. There's actually one here on Inishmore. I see one in a garden here. And maybe other people will start to erect them in their gardens as well. I just don't know. These things are sort of spontaneous and intuitive among us. And you cannot impose them on people. If you do, they won't work. It has to come from within us somewhere. So I think, you know, we're people who need ritual. And I think we'll therefore find appropriate rituals um, that are right for us. You have, for example, in... In Kildare, you have a resurgence of interest in St. Bridget. And there you have the the perpetual fire, which Bridget used to have apparently at her monastery, a perpetual fire that had been kept lighting even before the nuns became Christian. It was a Druid circle first that had the perpetual fire. And then Bridget and her friends became Christian and they continued the fire lighting and it never went out. And then until maybe around the 12th century. And now um, that fire has been relit and has been kept alive. And so there's an example of a a, a new ritual coming in um, or an old one being being revived. Um, So those sort of things uh, will continue to happen. And that that particular fire of Bridget that's lighting now today perpetually is quite inspirational to many, many people. So that's the sort of thing. Also, you have the May Festival has restarted on the Hill of Ishnach. So there's another example. Um, Ishnach has long been sort of dead. It wasn't even, I don't think people were even aware of it. When I was growing up, I certainly wasn't aware of it. Uh, but Ishnach, the navel of Ireland in County Westmeath, not too far from Tara, um, is now being uh, rejuvenated. And big May Festival takes place there every year. Um, and the gathering every year gets bigger and bigger. And of course, at the very heart of it, is the May fire, so are the May fires, the two of them. So um, there are ways in which we are trying to resurrect old rituals and make them meaningful and relevant for us today. And I'm sure also we will create new ones that are that resonate with us today as well. So I wouldn't have any, uh, I, I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't be negative or have any pessimism around this at all. I think humans need rituals and they'll find appropriate ones. Excellent. How do you celebrate May Day yourself, Dara? Well, we celebrate it, uh, first of all, by working in our garden. It's the most intense period in the garden where you have to keep everything that you planted doing well. You have to weed a lot and you have to water 
and so on. You might have to support certain plants. Um, so all of that is a big, big part of from May onwards. Um, so that'd be one thing. Then barbecues and meals outside. And then just making sure you enjoy the summer because it is May Day is the first day of summer and that you get out and get into the water and go down to the beaches and bring your picnics and go for walks and enjoy the birds singing and watch the young birds uh, fledging from their nests. And there's just so much joy and wonder and celebration to be had from May onwards in the middle of summer that it's to be a shame to miss it. Excellent, excellent. And are there any superstitions associated with Bialtana? Well, one of them here would be the cuckoo, obviously. Um, if you haven't got your potatoes planted by the time the cuckoo comes, um, you're in trouble because your potatoes may be late. And so that would be a worry that some people have, that they didn't get their potatoes in before the cuckoo came and therefore the crop might fail. And there's a very real aspect to that superstition, if you like, because uh, the longer you leave it to put your potatoes in, the maybe the worse they'll do. And it, that depends very much from year to year. Uh, on the sunshine and on the amount of rain and so on and how soon the winter sets in. Um, other than that, I mean, I live on the Aran Islands where, you know, a lot of the traditional beliefs would have disappeared on the mainland, but they'd still be here. And yet I don't pick up, other than that cuckoo tradition, I don't hear many superstitions still being talked about here um, other, other than that. Okay, another thing that strikes me about May is that there's so many sayings in the farming calendar associated with May. For example, a wet and windy May fills the haggards with corn and hay. And look, May seems to be so significant. In many ways, I can understand why people might have seen it as the most important festival or time of the year. Have you any other sayings associated with May? Uh, no, no, but I'd, I'd like to, to share with the listeners um, something that the Celtic people were very aware of from May the 1st onwards through the next three months, through the high point of the sun and then the starting of the decline of it through to the next festival, which is the Lunasa Festival. And the Lunasa Festival is the harvest festival. The first, first uh, fruits of the harvest come in at the beginning of Lunasa. And Lunasa is the celebration of the god Lu. That's where the word comes from. And the god Lu is a sun god. So a bit like Bealtaine and Bel, you have the sun god there too. So those two festivals, if you like, form a sandwich in which the sun is predominantly important in the life of the people. And within that uh, period from May, May to Lunasa, there is a battle going on between two sun gods, Lu, the good sun god that helps the harvest, and Balor, maybe a version of Bel. Who knows if you trace it back, because the two words sound very similar. But Balor is sort of the evil version of the sun god. He's got an evil eye in the center of his forehead. And if he opens it at all, whatever he looks at just turns into dust and ashes. Uh, so Be uh, Balor is responsible for everything that goes wrong in your garden. So if you've got slugs eating your lettuce, you know, blame Balor. If you've got a fungus on your tomatoes, blame Balor. If you get blight on your potatoes, blame Balor. You know, if there's a very stormy day and all your plants get knocked over or burnt 
blame Balor. Balor is the, the cause of all the nastiness in your garden, whereas Lou is the cause of everything going right in your garden. And there's a whole story, which I won't go into now, um, an ancient story of the battle between Balor and Lou. Lou and Lou was the grandson of Balor, and he ended up killing him at the Battle of Moitura. Uh, Lou ended up killing his grandfather, Balor, at the Battle of Moitura. Uh, so eventually Lou wins, and that leads then to the Lunasa festival. So, But in these people's minds, the Celtic people's minds, this battle takes place every year in your garden. So every year, Balor and Lou are fighting it out from May the 1st through to August the 1st, and when you get your first harvest, when you dig your first potatoes or you take in your first lettuce, you're beginning the celebration of Lunasa, which is the victory of Lou over Balor. So that's something maybe to remember when people are out in their garden. That's very interesting. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. And Bialtana, I believe, is halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice, Dara. Is this significant? Oh, yes, it is very much significant. The cycle of the Celtic year is divided into the four main Celtic festivals, which I've named Imbolc, Bealtaine, Lunasa and Samhain. And then in between those, in the middle of those periods between each, you have uh, the solstices and the equinoxes. So you have two solstices, one in winter, one in summer, and you have two equinoxes as well. So in this period of the year, the May festival lands in the middle between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. So the spring equinox around uh, St. Patrick's Day, if you like, or the 21st of March around that time. And then the summer solstice, which is around the 21st of June, the high point. And uh, those, of course, are big festivals as well. Um, for, for us here in Ireland, I think we mark the spring um the spring equinox by St. Patrick's Day, really. That's and, and that's the date also for gardeners and farmers to begin planting. Um, so it's a very significant period um, in the in the Celtic calendar. And then the, the, the summer solstice then, of course, is the longest day of the year and the shortest night. And here in Arran, we have a bonfire festival on that night. It's called St. John's Eve. And it has huge connections, uh, one with the very ancient tradition of lighting the fire just as the sun is setting on the shortest on the shortest night of the year and then keeping the fire lit throughout the night until the sun rises again early the following morning. So it's definitely a sun festival um, with a layer of Christianity put over it because it's celebrated on St. John's Eve. St. John being the cousin, John Baptist, the cousin of Jesus born six months before Jesus. So if you celebrate Jesus's birthday on the winter solstice, you've got to celebrate John's on the summer solstice. That's how the Celtic, the Christian calendar works. And there's a lovely phrase in Luke's gospel where John says, he must increase and I must decrease. And he's talking there about Jesus. And uh, so you have in actual nature, you have the sun beginning to decrease after John's birthday and you have the sun beginning to increase after Jesus' birthday. So it's an example of how, you know, you can integrate your your beliefs, whatever they are, Christian or otherwise, into sort of the, the nature calendar or the calendar of the seasons and of the sun and so on. So yeah, all for the Celtic people, these these um, eight moments in the, in the cycle of the year were extremely important. 
and it was the way people planned out their calendar and how, how they behaved in each period of that year. So it's something we can tune back into ourselves because we don't need to subscribe to any belief system, say Christianity or otherwise, to do it. We can simply subscribe to what's out right there, there in nature and make those moments in the year our festival times. Yeah, and there's no doubt, uh, Dara, as somebody who has semi-retired recently and I have promised myself that I'm going to connect more with nature and I can see, it's almost like I see the resurrection every time I see the the sun rising and I'm looking at the significance of the sun all throughout the year now and it has taken on a whole new meaning and in many ways, Obviously, I think the festivals didn't come around by accident. It's it's all mirrored in nature. Would you agree with me there? Well, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, life for us humans is a mystery. I mean, there are aspects of life which are practical and there's little worlds we all live in which, where we feel comfortable. But if we, once we go outside those worlds, life is very mysterious and the bigger picture is beyond really what we can understand. And therefore, we have to be happy with just asking questions which don't have any answers. And I think our access into that is through the moments when we feel mystery or wonder or awe or magic even in our lives. And one of the ways we can do that is um, to create stories or narratives around it. And that's what the Celts and other cultures were great at. They created pictures. Take, for example, that sun one where you have said the sun rising in the morning reminds you of the resurrection. That might be because of some Christian belief that you have. Um, in the Celtic uh, belief system before Christianity, people saw the sun setting in the evening and thought of it as the sun god going to bed with the earth goddess. So Lou goes to bed with, with say, Eriu, the goddess of Ireland. And that leads to, of course, fertility. Um, so during the night, the two are making love. And during the day, the sun as the male in the sky, is dancing in front of his of his consort, the, the goddess of the earth, and can't take his eye off her. So you have that lovely narrative uh, giving explanation to how fertility manifests itself here on this earth. It's because two uh, cosmic energies, one male and one female, have come together. Excellent. And I, it's so important to keep that narrative, isn't it, regardless yes. of what your beliefs are, because if we lose the narrative, we lose a lot that's associated with the narrative as well. Yes, our, our beliefs don't have to be fundamentalist. I mean, we we can subscribe to the stories because they resonate with us and because we like them. Um, and that's all we need to do. Um, and some of these ancient stories from all the different traditions are fascinating and wonderful and give real insights into our own uh, myster mysterious beings and our own lives and our own destinies and often give us um, give us new a new understanding of how to live on this earth. They're full of wisdom, these stories. Excellent, excellent. And... Dara, what wisdom do you think we can take from all of this uh, Celtic celebration, particularly around uh, Bealtaine? Well, the more we reconnect with the earth and the, and the cosmos and the universe, the more in balance we will be in our lives with the rest of nature. And 
um, in these days, we're still really not mature. We may be mature as individual human beings, but as a human species, we're not yet mature. We haven't yet come to the full place, I believe, where we're meant to be. And that full place will be when we're living totally in harmony with everything else uh, in the universe, and particularly with every living thing on this planet. And we will see it as our responsibility to facilitate the flourishing of all life on the planet. And we will live in such a way that facilitates that. So our lives will be in balance with every other living being on the on our planet and will be in balance with all the cosmic energies in the universe. So that's that's what I that's how I would see our goal. That's where we're heading. And those of us who want to make progress in that direction um, can simply take actions in our lives to bring us closer to that. So to do that, you need to reconnect with nature. If you're not reconnecting with it, you need to maybe live with animals and cats and birds and uh, wild animals around your house. Um, you need to grow vegetables and get connected with that whole cycle of growing and uh, producing your own food and realizing that we we couldn't live if we weren't if we didn't have clean earth and clean water and fresh air and the right amount of sun in our lives and we couldn't live without so many other living things providing for us and our needs um and then we that if you do that then we grow slowly in awareness and we grow slowly in into a, an attitude of respect and of sensitivity and of compassion even for other living things and we begin to work more together in balance and that brings us fulfillment and harmony and peace and in our lives as well so that's a win-win for all of us of course and i love that word respect and i think if we lose it for ourselves or indeed uh, lose it uh, the respect for the whole earth around us that we're really shooting ourselves in the foot yeah and could i say just um as to bring right up to the moment, I've opened the window here because it's so warm and the cat has come in and is sitting beside me. So there's a nice example of other life. And also um, outside this morning, I've heard the cockerel crow because uh, we have chickens and, and a cockerel here. Um, and the cockerel in the Irish tradition, when it calls in the morning, is not calling cock-a-doodle-doo. And especially at Easter time, um, the, the cock is interpreted as calling out Tamak Nahoi Gaslan. Can you can you hear the echo of the cockadoodle-do there? Tamak Nahoi Gaslan. Um, and he's calling out, the son of the virgin is alive. So he's proclaiming the wow. resurrection. So <laughs> it's it's that sort of thing that we can begin to tune into and find ways to create a narrative around them uh, so that they they communicate meaning to us in our own beliefs. Okay. And Dara, uh, as people who are have lived a lot of our lives, do you feel we have a responsibility to send that message out or do you feel that it just comes through awareness or can we make people more aware? Well, everybody, I think, has an individual destiny. In other words, everybody um, has a way of listening to themselves to figure out what they should do on a particular day or in, in their lives. So I wouldn't impose any must do on anybody else. Um, and I think that's the Celtic spiritual tradition is be true to yourself. Listen to the intuitive prompts coming from within yourself and don't live out of fear. 
live out of uh, life-giving energy that you experience within you and around you. And if that means you go out and you join Friends of the Earth or you become an activist on the environment, fine, I will respect you for it. Um, but it's not necessarily everybody's way. Somebody else's way it might be simply to promote organic growing or to encourage people to have a little bit of garden in their back or even to promote wilderness, leave everything grow wild because that's important too. You know, so I wouldn't be imposing my views on anybody else, but I would encourage people to be true to who they really are and not to live out of fear. Brilliant. And I think that's a good place to end, you know, uh, as Shakespeare, I think, said, above all, to thine own self be true and it must follow as the day to night thou canst not be false to any man. My mother used to quote that quite a bit to us. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's very right to do it. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dara, it has been a fantastic uh, conversation. I genuinely have learned so much about Bialtana that I can honestly say I didn't know. And um, even doing the little bit of research, you have just such uh, a lot of wisdom about obviously the Celtic tradition and I would say I'd love you to bring more of it to us in the months and years ahead. I'd be very happy to do that. It seems like that's where I'm at at the moment in my own life uh, to as maybe give back a little bit. I've spent my whole life uh, trying to live out of the inspiration of the Celtic tradition and um, maybe it's now time to talk about it with others and I'm very well, happy to do that. Yeah, and to be honest, you're a great ambassador for it and keep up the good work. And it it it's just, it was a lovely conversation on a lovely morning. And it's all I can say is I hope you have a wonderful uh, May Day and also a wonderful May month. Thanks very much, Sheila. And of course, I wish the same to you. Thank you so much, Dara. Bye-bye. All the very best. Thanks again. Hi, folks. We really hope you enjoyed that episode. Please check out some of Dara's books at www.ashleenpublications.com or perhaps considering becoming a patron and receiving personal services from Dara at www.patreon.com forward slash Dara Malai Aaron. Thanks. Bye.